0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to The Local Lens, a podcast where we go inside one community's experience with the drug epidemic. This is coming to you from Stanton, Kentucky, a small town nestled at the foothills of Appalachia. And this show is all about gathering as many unique perspectives on the drug epidemic as we possibly can. So, on today's episode, we have one of the most unique positions that we could get for the interview with Judge Executive James Anderson. Now, what makes Judge Anderson's perspective so unique is that he sees the entire county budget. He sees how all the different county programs and public uh, services all tie together, how they all overlap, and how things affect each other. So he especially sees the amount of strain that the drug problem here puts on the rest of our community. So leading up to this episode, he told me he wanted to focus on sharing the financial impacts that dealing with the drug problem has on our county. So you're not going to hear much emotion on this episode, and that's not because he doesn't have any emotions or sympathy towards the problem. It's really just that we decided to focus on the finance and numbers and how that affects our county in that way. Well, anyways, that's good enough for an intro. Let's go on and get into the episode. This is The Local Lens. It's a Powell County Health Department project from the Powell County Cares Program. I'm your host, Nate Brooks. Uh, These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do.
1: Yeah, as he said, I'm James Anderson. I've had the good fortune of serving in my capacity for almost nine years now and excited to have the opportunity to discuss one of, I think, the biggest problems we have here in Powell County, probably. I think, and it's not just Powell County, so I shouldn't just uh, put the stigma here. I think it's a nationwide problem. But the Mm -hmm. opiate or the drug uh, problem that we're Mm -hmm. seeing in our society today and uh, I think uh, financially the woes it brings to economies locally and nationally, Mm -hmm. it's uh, something that's very underlooked. And I think a lot of times uh, we see the... See it from the angle they'll tell you what a needle program cost or something as that, and I've always made the argument it's it's more what it costs us if we don't do it, and I think mm-hmm. there's it's hard to formulate numbers or cost uh, on those mm-hmm. things that are not tangible, mm-hmm. but I think that's going to be start to be the mentality we have to look at more so than the cost of some of these programs because mm-hmm. uh, we're starting to see the impact of that now as it continues to grow. If you look at our county budget, you know it's twelve point five million. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at the ambulance and um, jail aspect of that, that's over a quarter of our me of our budget. Mm -hmm. And then looking at those basically probably 80% of those costs associated with those two departments Mm -hmm. alone is from this drug problem. Mm -hmm. And then that starts touching you from the uh, economic development standpoint. You know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, we have a lot of uh, things we face, you know, rural broadband and stuff. But if if these monies wouldn't have to be allocated to cover such cost, Mm -hmm. good chance we would have had some of those things. And then, from the perspective of trying to recruit industry in and such things, that really has a big factor on our mm-hmm. uh, what workforce we have available to be attractive to those folks. So it, it, it hits us all over. And I think uh, if people would realize the, the cost of inaction and what it's costing us is a lot greater than the cost of actually taking yeah. productive, proactive steps and trying to combat it, is my opinion.
0: So we need to keep that same sentiment in mind for the rest of the episode. Because mainly what we're getting at here is that as long as we're spending money having to directly address issues involving the drug problem, that's taking away from where we could be spending our money elsewhere. So through that way, it affects all of us. Just trying to uh, utilize what limited resources we have. And mm-hmm.
1: we've talked about the cost, you know, these direct costs. But also, I think it's going to be hard to ever quantify. You know, we lose a, a member... To this uh, addiction, what mm-hmm. does that mean to their productivity in the future? If they'd had it, been a good, taxpaying, mm-hmm. uh, viable citizen, uh, so mm-hmm. there's cost. And then, as far as the social capital we lose, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I think uh, just you see it in our school systems, kids from broken homes that don't have that. So, mm-hmm. how's that kid's life going to be impacted through the future? So, it's not just mm-hmm. attacking uh, the person that's affected, you know, it's the whole family unit and the whole community for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's sometimes lost in this. This thing too,
0: and these are long-lasting problems that they don't just go away overnight. They don't go away once uh, the person is in recovery, even.
1: What are going to be the long-term health ramifications of even the people that get clean? You know, no doubt they've had those years of usage. Mm
0: -hmm. They're
1: more than likely going to face complications from that Mm -hmm. in the future. So, and I think that's another thing from that. If you'll see the uh, redistribution of wealth in this, you know, you've seen families all the time that grandparents, parents, all their resources have been uh, maybe their life savings are going to try to get Mm -hmm. this loved one clean. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you affect them for the, it's affecting three or four generations. And Mm -hmm. just using an example such as that here in our community, if those people had had that money, where would it have been spent or how would it have been invested in our community? Mm -hmm. Not that it's not a worthy cause, but now it's going to healthcare providers or clinics outside our community. So you're seeing a redistribution of wealth and assets outside our community. So it has many financial implications on our community beyond the pure need to do the moral and ethical thing and try to get these people
0: help. And looking at the healthcare is also just one part of a much bigger picture because we also have a need for healthcare, and the need exists for a lot of reasons. How do you see like our need for health care in, in our community here? That's very much and
1: I think it's kind of uh, unique here that we're in this pandemic kind of even manifested more, but I think being in a rural community, not having access or um, you know readily available to these people, definitely mm-hmm. is another hurdle they face. Whereas if they be a Fayette County or something, you know, a lot more resources. And mm-hmm. so just the expense of getting these people to the options, if we have mm-hmm. to go outside, is a, another disadvantage that the folks in our community mm-hmm. face uh, in that. And I don't know how it will work but what i was kind of getting at with the pandemic you know hopefully this and that's what i said even the cdc should look as much at uh, internet access as they do vaccines and stuff in these mm-hmm. pandemics same thing with our i think that's left us at a disadvantage in this um trying to combat this drug situation maybe some of those options telemedicine type things mm-hmm. or sessions could be worked in and, and make it more available to those
0: people in need So let's walk through what that would kind of look like then, because that's an interesting point. Like um, how important of a step would it be to get internet and like the broadband through our whole county?
1: Yeah. And that's, we've got some projects ongoing Uh, naturally the cost of those going back to where we're having to allocate funds that could maybe Mm -hmm. expedite that. And um, if you look at the current uh, financial state, I guess nation, especially in the state Mm -hmm. makes those steps more challenging, more challenging. Mm -hmm. And that's what I say. Almost some of these, Um, money's put into combating that even though it doesn't necessarily look like it should directly impact maybe some of these funds should be allocated for that you know and see what models could be developed that would make the help they need more accessible i guess
0: so if you grew up in stanton then you know as well as anybody else on the planet how quickly word can travel through the community just through people talking and while that's incredible in some situations, it's probably not the most helpful in all situations.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, one, I guess one of our strengths and one of our weaknesses, too, being in a small community and actually knowing most people, uh, there's a comfort. But then also there could be an embarrassment or stigma they're afraid to be associated. So if, mm-hmm. if they're to a point in life where they want help or need help, mm-hmm. nothing more than not wanting to go to somebody they know to to admit that could be a challenge here. So I think if you had other options that they didn't necessarily have to know who they was going to ask help for might open the door up to more people Mm -hmm. to get treatment than what we currently um, have
0: available to us as well. All righty, guys. Let's stop and take a breath right there real quick. Hopefully by now you can see that these roots spread all over the place and they go deep. Everything is connected. Everything affects each other that's why we're very lucky to have Judge Anderson on here, because from his perspective, he can see those connections better than pretty much anybody else in our county. All right, so let's get back into it. Before you took your role as the judge executive, what was your view? Like, has being in that role shifted your view at all on the drug situation?
1: It has. I don't guess I had a, even a start to have a full understanding of the economic toll it has on Mm-hmm. on you know, the finances of a county or city or mm-hmm. national or state government. I mean you could see um, you know, the up, you could see it, I guess what you just as um, far as maybe what the cost of that individual, but you didn't see how it played out you know through the court mm-hmm. calls, through the EMS. And if you look, these same population are, are using, that's our court system, probably mm-hmm. 80% of its drug or some drug related issue mm-hmm. that's brought them there. Our jails, that's why you see the capacity problems throughout the state. Most all of that's related Mm -hmm. to that. Same thing with their EMS. Typically, if they've gotten this cycle, you know, it's nothing, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. to see the same person maybe in the same day OD. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, and that takes away, you know, when we're having to distribute those um, assets to that problem, Mm -hmm. you you know, you have a normal health thing, such as a heart attack or something. It very well may be that our emergency services are tied up trying to address mm-hmm. these and unable to um render the help that the person having a heart attack is so it, it's a it's a bleed on all of our society and our finances mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's it's very it would if if you worked as a one of our first responders it naturally mm-hmm. has to be it would be really easy in that position to start to get um, hardened mm-hmm. toward it you know when you're going to the same address three mm-hmm. or four times uh,
0: especially in a couple of months time you know And that points back to an actual thing called compassion burnout that's experienced by a lot of people in all kinds of caregiving fields. So it's not that the EMS doesn't care. It's just they do it a lot. Their lives are surrounded by dealing with this.
1: It's really a balance and, and we have wonderful first responders that do their job, but I know they get mm-hmm. frustrated going back to repeat things. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what they signed up to, you know, or what they thought they was getting into. So yeah. it really takes away from why they signed on to that. So mm-hmm. beyond the attic, you know, we need to, to give them some relief to our first responders and, mm-hmm. and try to get this treated in a manner and not using those as the first line of defense for it. I think.
0: Yeah. What do you think we could shift towards then more so? You know, I've
1: saw, uh, I think, some of the more, I think, a lot of the monies that I've saw come down from federal and state, and I think that's one of the disadvantages. You know, I think it's become apparent to them now that we have a significant problem. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's insincere, but I I think too often they want to throw some money at something, regardless if it's Mm -hmm. a proven model, just to make an appearance that they're trying to address it. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what I've saw, especially federal and state monies come down to, are probably not the most effective in what i've witnessed and um so you know a lot of the shorter term type things or even some of the educational components not that they don't um they're not for good reasons but i just don't think they've been that effective so i think Mm -hmm. there needs to be a time to step back and really look at what is working in -hmm. these things and, and start trying to direct the money to more effective models than just throwing it um you know broad blanket mm-hmm. and just you know, this is for opiate but no specifications as really to what it goes to or how yeah. we're using it.
0: But like it's it's been surprising just like how much there is still to be understood about like what mm-hmm. actually works and then you'll get in and you'll talk to people and a lot of different people that are like knee deep in the problem and stuff and like knee deep and working on it will they'll say they're like they don't think anything will work broad blanket like everything kind of has to be formed very much to that specific situation, and that at the very least would be a lot of manpower to have a system like that where it worked.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. if you look and what I've witnessed is most of the programs that have the most success are faith based or mm-hmm. tend to be, and that gets a real touchy, I guess, when you get into government funding going to a health base. So I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of proven programs that work that may not be eligible for funding just because Mm -hmm. they are attached to a church or a Mm -hmm. faith-based organization. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate that, but that's where we've got to come up with something to fix that model because those Mm -hmm. seem to be the most effective in what Mm -hmm. I've witnessed. So um, ways to work around that or Mm -hmm. something may be very helpful.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take this opportunity to hop on a soapbox and talk about one of my favorite things that happens in America the small nonprofit organization. I think small nonprofits are just incredibly important to our society because what's happening in a nonprofit, thats the, the government is looking at this small organization and saying, okay, we trust you to address this problem because the small nonprofit that is locally based sees and understands that problem there much better than the state government is going to, much better than the national government's going to. And if they're a small group, then they're able to work quickly and address the issues as they come up. So this is groups like Spark Ministries and uh, Celebrate Recovery here in town. These are two incredible groups that do so much awesome work for our community and it's because they've garnered enough support from whoever it is that they make the money work. That enough people believe in what they're doing. That people give them money to keep doing what they're doing because it's really helpful to a lot of people. And I think these groups and other groups like them are necessary in communities. And it's important because government groups are not allowed to be religiously affiliated, but your nonprofits are. For a nonprofit, all you have to do is be able to raise enough money to keep doing what you're doing. So you look at groups like Celebrate Recovery and Spark Ministries, and they're allowed to be religiously affiliated because people see that they're effective in what they're doing. People are going to continue supporting them as long as they're doing good work. And that may be what's necessary because speaking to somebody's religious side and that spiritual side, has been very effective, just as Judge Anderson says.
1: And I think that's something that's lost in this fight. I think people that's been in addiction and stuff, you know, it's not a magic pill you can give them. It's more a mm-hmm. holistic thing. As I said, you got mm-hmm. you got to heal the, the mental aspect of it, too. And in mm-hmm. my faith, you know, I think I've got to have that spiritual component that mm-hmm. might be different for other people, but I think whatever wherever they find that solitude or guidance, they've got to have that incorporated into their program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Where do you see our county in, like, addressing mental health issues at all? Because I know those go hand-in-hand yeah. with addiction. Yeah,
1: you know, I think I, there, again, because mm-hmm. of our size, uh, we're very limited mm-hmm. in the ability to do that. And I think, you know, even such as the Casey laws and stuff, some of the valuations those people's got to go through, mm-hmm. that's why I said we don't have the resources. I know Miss Coffee here locally mm-hmm. provides a lot of that. If it wasn't for that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, we're a lot more limited.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Um,
1: And I actually just recently saw where one of uh, the—it's one of, I think, city police departments here in Kentucky instead of hiring more officers, they were actually hiring some mental health evaluators because they realized that arresting that person is not the cure. Mm -hmm. You know, what do they need as far as housing, Mm far as food, you know, to get Mm -hmm. them on a path to where they can be sustainable? And I think we touch on a good point there is— beyond what we're doing locally and you keep hearing about reform within our Mm -hmm. corrections facilities but Mm -hmm. i think that's where especially in a state Mm -hmm. we've got to step up and Mm -hmm. see how that's going to tailor to it you know i locally i use the example we have the work release program Mm -hmm. and typically we have 40 people there and when they're in that capacity with that supervision they're very productive members you know our most of our food banks our transfer station Mm -hmm. our animal shelters are all pretty much staffed and Anybody that lives here can uh, testify mm-hmm. to that, especially now when we don't have them, the, the mm-hmm. slack there. So they provide a vital service Are very valuable members to what we do in the community. Mm-hmm. I think nothing more than reforming that. If instead of them per se being incarcerated, if they're, mm-hmm. I think if we would provide private contractors and stuff with the ability to utilize that, mm-hmm. provide the home, you know, housing, uh, drug testing, or what or I think there could be a lot more efficient model and you know, that that'd be a pretty good uh, chance for a person to work a person, have a chance to see. And I think Mm -hmm. that person going out of incarceration, having the ability to step into a home and a job, Mm -hmm. the recidivism comes real quick after they're released. You know, if we can bridge that gap and uh, give them the best opportunity to succeed, I think we could really start to combat that. And Mm -hmm. the the longer we can keep them from addiction, you know, the likelihood of them going back is a lot greater. So Mm -hmm. I think we're really missing that in our corrections current the current model of our corrections mm-hmm.
0: so just to time stamp this episode we recorded this interview back in the summer of 2020 which was a time that was characterized by people demanding police reform there was a lot of unrest in the country and a lot of people were questioning um why we ask our police to do so much it is interesting that like some of the places are trying to like some of the counties in the state are trying to address like the Mental instability side of it because, like, like you said earlier, if you can kind of cut off some of the people getting into the jail program at first and like keeping them out of that whole cycle, then like you have to wonder what kind of effect that would have.
1: Yeah, and I think here to you know, I think locally we're very fortunate to have a very good law enforcement. I think overall, mm-hmm. that's what's uh, yes. it throughout the nation, we have wonderful law enforcement. I Unfortunately, yes. you know, we get a very small percentage, but at the same time, I think. Uh, kind of what we talked about, we're we're expecting our law enforcement, like you said, to be the mental health provider. Mm-hmm. And we're really tasking them with a lot of things that are mm-hmm. not in their wheelhouse. And if we would uh, appropriately address the drug crisis, mm-hmm. opiate crisis, and the corrections problem, mm-hmm. we could really take a lot off the plates of, of what we're expecting our law enforcement officers to do that they shouldn't be doing. And I mm-hmm. think they're kind of really caught in a vacuum here. Mm-hmm. They're uh, They're having to play a lot of roles that typically yeah. shouldn't be
0: theirs. And that calls back to looking at the EMS. Um, The EMS is very burdened by a lot of stuff that wasn't exactly in their job description. And we are absolutely not saying here that we should neglect paying attention to addiction or neglect helping people that are going through that. What we are saying, though, is that we can do different things to address the problem so that it's not the EMS or the police force having to address these issues. It, it seems like we could we could try different things at least. But um, but it so. gets scary when you get to the point
1: where you have people in the public that are at, against the Narcon or Narcan mm-hmm. and against the needle exchange. And that's why I said I hope if they would look at it uh, beyond what they should we should be trying to do for that individual, they've got mm-hmm. to realize economically and financially what that means to the community and that's you know if, if they can't see the personal side that at least see the financial side and realize that yeah. you know, we're all in this uh, and uh, we're all being impacted whether we realize it or not
0: do you know specifically anything about like the the impacts that narcan or the exchange program specifically have on our finances you know looking
1: at the numbers but that was one of the points i made i know it and we was very fortunate in Powell County. We didn't have near mm-hmm. the resistance. You know, even I know a Scott County, uh, which you would assume would be very much mm-hmm. for it, you know, we we didn't have near the kickback or fight against it. But mm-hmm. one of the points I made, even in that cycle, at the time, I think, you know, a case, a case of uh, HIV, I think, mm-hmm. equated to right out of half a million dollars a taxpayer, you know, somebody's funds wow. to treat that case. And I'm thinking, like, at that time, Hep C may have been like a $180,000 price tag. Mm-hmm. And that was the very right. point I made, you know. And that's the unfortunate thing about it. Uh, Effective needle exchange, we probably don't, we won't be able to quantify how many of those we prevented. Mm -hmm. We got to know what common sense tells you that you've naturally spread, uh, slowed the spread, if not stopped it in a lot Mm -hmm. of instances. But you take, you know, just roughly the $480,000 HIV treatment in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. In Powell County, if we save, prevent one case of that, how many years worth of the needle exchange would that you know pay for and that's Mm -hmm. i think that's lost on a lot of people so like you said unfortunately we can't say well we definitely stopped five cases Mm -hmm. hiv and that's where it's it's hard to quantify and and make justification but i think we can all uh if you look to people worth those and the amount of people that's got help Mm -hmm. or the people that's been identified that has one of these diseases you know Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubt we've we've Curb those some of those cases here in our yeah our community. Yeah, and, and, and I think exchange. you know I think something that's lost on a lot of people too. And from what little I mean, I know some of what they do, but the needle exchange has also been an opportunity for outreach. They've been able to actually connect with some of these people and and mm-hmm. be able to guide them in places, uh, resources for help. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, I think that's a positive thing. You had somebody that may have initially went there no more than trying to get a clean needle, mm-hmm. but as they've seen and those, the care those people are providing, mm-hmm. there's been people that's got treatment and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe at initial start, they wasn't ready for that. But sometime during the course of that, they've woke yep. up to that and they've had a, somebody to direct them in the direction they needed to get the assistance they needed. When I graduated high school, you know, you, you heard of a little, and I guess we're kind of, my perceptions change maybe mm-hmm. through the years. Um, at that time, maybe marijuana was the worst you would hear somebody doing. It was mostly just alcohol and things. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think back, we were all young and dumb, probably made decisions we wished we hadn't. And that's what i try to tell people, you know, I guess back to the disease or disability type thing. Mm-hmm. There's kids making the first-time decision mm-hmm. that instead of a bottle of alcohol, now maybe it's a pill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the likelihood that the first bottle of alcohol got somebody addicted is very mm-hmm. unlikely in most instances. Whereas the first couple times with the substance that they're exposed to now, mm-hmm. been of the same mindset of somebody 20 or 30 years ago, they now, now, now may be in a place of addiction. So mm-hmm. it's a very different animal than what even in my generation we grew up and mm-hmm. exposed to. So the same stupid decision somebody made then might be totally different than it was back then. So I think they need to realize how the times have changed and what our... Mm-hmm. newer or future generations are faced with it's much different than what we, we encountered back in those oh. days. So, it-
0: So I think it's important to remember, though, that a lot of the changes in the drug scene that have happened are also alongside the changes in the medical scene. And you have to take both sides of that coin. If you want the medical advancements, the improvements of pain care, then you have to accept that some people are going to abuse that medicine as well. So while it is frustrating to consider that, like, the pharmaceutical companies that brought us these pills that have changed our society so much, you have to also appreciate the medical advancements that have come along as well. There is a place for this medicine, but you have to be careful with it because it's ridiculously powerful stuff.
1: And I think you kind of hit on it, you know, within the medical profession, there's many good, but... Also, you had some bad doctors and some bad pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. that were nothing more than a profit-driven, and that's what yeah. really sent us down this road. And I think we got to be very cautious going forward in the treatment phases, too. And I'll be, you know, that's what I'm going to use, for example, and by no means I'm a medical expert, but yeah. in what I've uh, read and what I've saw, such as Suboxone, I think there's definitely a place for that in the treatment yeah. process. I think more often than not, though, we're seeing the same deal with doctors and companies that's looking for profit versus treatment Mm -hmm. you know when you have people in my opinion not Mm -hmm. a medical one that's relying on that a a decade later are we doing what we should to get that person Mm -hmm. whole and i think not so Mm -hmm. you know we got to be cautious as we move forward that even with the treatment components there's going to be those Mm -hmm. bad actors that look to profit not to help the person so
0: yeah yeah and i know the little bit i've seen inside (laughs) of that too with symboxone um if people are using a program to to use it if there's a written plan how you like start with it to how you're past it. I think the goal is to get past it. The mm-hmm. goal is to not create dependency on it. Exactly. And that's that's something that like you as a user or like you as a participant in the program can look for and purposefully seek out with it.
1: Exactly. And I, uh, that's exactly right. We shouldn't just be switching addictions. We should really be trying to mm-hmm. to help that person.
0: So that wraps up a conversation that spreads over a lot of different ground but what else do you expect from somebody that like his job is to look at everything that goes on in the community so very naturally all this stuff runs together and that's the reality of it the longer we have to pay specific attention to addressing the opioid problem the less we can focus on addressing other issues that our county faces But for the time being, we're still working on it, still hacking away at it, trying to make it a little bit better than it was before. And if that's something that you're interested in joining, then reach out to us at the Powell County Health Department or reach out to us at the Powell County Cares Facebook page or even the Local Lens Facebook page. There's a lot of work being done and there's plenty of room for everybody. So come on, join the fight. Well, anyway, let's go on and get this wrapped up. Um, Once again, you've been listening to The Local Lens, a Pow County Cares project from the Pow County Health Department. I'd like to send out a few thank yous before we go. First of all, to WSKV for broadcasting the show for us, Uh, to the Health Department for letting the show even be a thing, and then also to uh, Judge Anderson for doing good work in your position and for giving your time to be on the show. Um, This is your host, Nate Brooks, Thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do.